Well, we invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians 5. We want to continue in our passage here, and this is an incredibly rich portion of Scripture, as is all of Scripture, but this is a really practical and rich passage. We're going to begin here in verse 22. And we're going to continue to the end of the chapter. So, beginning in verse 22 with the reading of God's Word. Wives, submit you to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the church, Christ. I'm, let me, sorry about that, back up. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we acknowledge that we are learners and we are needy learners of your truths. Father, we come to you knowing that we need your Holy Spirit this morning to open this scripture to us as we need to see your way and to receive it with gladness and joy. And Lord, not only that, but to let your word produce what you want from us. So I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and open our minds and turn our thoughts to you, Lord, that we may this morning rejoice again in your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Apostle Paul here has went from, as we were, we've been talking, that you could tie, you could look at the book of Ephesians and you could, you could just go three simple headings, sit, walk, stand. He begins with being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and what it means to be put there. 
what it means to be chosen by God, what it means to be saved by grace. And then we come to the part of walking with him. And last of all, standing for him. And we come, we come to this part of this, of this chapter where he addresses something that is very deep. And he pulls a lot of things together. And, it's, and so I decided it's not, we're not going to do justice to it with one, with one message, but I want to do two messages. I've entitled this message, God's Headship Order. And so I like to go, you know, verse by verse straight through the passage, and we may do more of that next time. But because so much is pulled into this passage, I want to look at three themes. Number one, we want to look at headship in God's kingdom. Number two, we want to look at love in God's kingdom. And number three, we want to look at submission in God's kingdom. Because all of this is joined to Christ and the church. All of this that practically affects us in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, practical living comes back to the, the, the relationship of God through His Son to the church. So, let's begin this morning by looking at the headship in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is a kingdom, and we're not used to appreciating what a kingdom really is in this country. We have a republic here where we all, there's, there's, there's uh, branches of government that rule this country. There's not one person sitting at the top that makes all the decisions. And so when you have a king, though, that's the way a kingdom works. A kingdom is, has a king who sits on a throne and he rules, and all the ruling comes from one place. Well, in the kingdom of heaven, there is a king, and there's only one king, and that king is God himself. And so the ruling all comes from him. And we don't like that many times because we are, we are faulty. We know the frailty of our human nature. We don't trust other people's human nature, and rightly so. But the thing that we forget is that God doesn't have a fallen nature. God is perfect. He's righteous, and He's holy, and He sits on His throne, ruling with justice and righteousness, with truth. There is no error in His judgment and in his ruling and it's perfect in the fact that he is not only righteous but he is loving and gracious and full of mercy and compassion and so we're going to see what this means this morning and how this affects us so in this kingdom god has an order and this order is his headship he he uses the term headship in, in, in relation to what the order of his kingdom should look like and what it does look like and what it is, actually what it is. What we make of it doesn't change what God is doing. Because one day every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every person is going to be brought at some point under the headship of God in Jesus Christ. It's just that today we're in a place where man has stood up and he's bowed up and he's rebelled. And he says, I will not have God to rule over me. And when he says, I will not have God to rule over him, God doesn't immediately strike him dead in this life. But there comes a day and a time when there will be a reckoning for that, bucking the authority and the, and the, and the goodness of God in that authority. God is not just trying to, to, he's not unjust in bringing judgment upon this world. These men have shaken, these, these, these human beings have shaken their fist in the face of God for centuries. And he's for centuries has borne long with them, if you please. But one day, when his purpose is complete here, he will bring a sure end to them and he will establish a kingdom where everything in that kingdom will follow his rule and it's glorious kingdom it's where everything works right where 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 it's the way it's supposed to be sometimes we think that it's things are so broken here we can't we have a hard time grasping what it would be like if things were like they should be Listen, my friends, God has given us a peek into what things should be like. And so as we, as we think about this, we, we are fallen creatures. And we have to, while we long for that time when all that's, where all that's wrong will be made right, to quote a song, all that, that, that's messed up in this world will be brought to the, to the, to the rightness that it's supposed to be. We, we, while we, we look and we long and, we, and we, we desire that, we're in a place where we're fallen. You know, man's not going to get there by himself. Man's not going to be able to reach that place by just trying a little harder, disciplining himself a little more. Doing, trying to do the right thing. It comes by the work of Christ within. We wanna, that's what I want to make sure that we understand this morning. So turn with me. We're going to hold our fingers. We're going to hold our place here in, in, in Ephesians 5. But I want us to note before we, before we go, um, notice that he says right out of the gate in verse 23, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head head of the church and he's he's bringing this headship order into into focus here and he talks about what that means with god and with christ but if we turn to first corinthians 11 in first corinthians 11 uh want to look at verse 3 Where he says, well, let me, let's read verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And Paul's saying, uh, you're keeping what I've told you because, and the reason he, he says this is because what he told them was given to him by God. 
But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. And so you see an order here. God has arranged his kingdom in order. He is over or he is head of Christ. Christ is head of man. Man is head of woman. And we're going to start at the top. We're going to start where God is. And we're going to work our way through this list. Won't get there today. But we want to especially look today at the headship uh, of God and Christ in, their king, in this kingdom. It is the way God orders his kingdom. Now, because there is a headship, does not mean that there is a, well, let's, let's, let's leave that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's go to John 14, and we want to look at verses 24 and 28. And I'm going to be pulling from some other scriptures this morning, more than I normally do, because this, 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 this uh, concept is so ingrained in scripture, the headship of Christ and God over his church. And let's just look at John 14. We begin here. We'll look here. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me? Let's go down to verse 28. You have heard me say, I am going away and coming back. Going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to my father, for my father is greater than I. I want us to note here that Jesus was saying in verse 24, the words that were not his own words, but they were the words of his Father given to him. And Jesus had no problem saying that. He said, in fact, and he had no problem in verse 28 saying, my Father is greater than I. Jesus himself on this earth had no problem acknowledging the Father as his head. And this headship order was, was, was that God was giving him the words to speak, was giving him the things to do. He was saying and doing the things of God, and he was going where God told him to go. And he had, you know, I believe that, that as we think about Christ and on his throne with the Father before this period of time where he came to earth it says that he was equal with the father that at in his heavenly in his in his heavenly being he was he was equal with the father in his in his heavenly nature when he comes to earth he submits himself to the headship of the father he says father whatever you tell me that's what i'm going to do whatever you say that's what i'm what you tell me to say that's what i'm going to say in fact, let's turn to Philippians 2 and let's look at what that what that has to what he has to say to us there. 
in Philippians 2, and we're going to go to verse 5. In verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's telling the Philippians here, you need to take the mind of Christ with you. Here's how Christ thought. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death on the cross notice that headship in the kingdom of god with god and christ does not mean that there's inequality there no he says christ was equal with the father and is equal with the Father. Christ has never diminished in His status with the Father. But when it comes to His function, when it comes to what He does, and how He ministers, and what He says, He submits Himself to the Father. He had no problem saying, I'm going to be obedient to the Father. And how far did He take that? How far was he willing to go with that? All the way to the cross, to the death of the cross. And let's understand that this is a principle that God calls all of us to submit to. There's a headship over us. That headship is a headship of God and Christ. And he calls us to submit to him to do what he wants us to do, even if it takes us to our death here. As a Christian, when you came to Christ, everything that you had, everything that was yours, you threw at the feet of Christ. Jesus said, if any man comes after me and will not take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And this is why. Because your life When you come to Christ, when I came to Christ, our lives became His. We put a, signed our name to a blank check and we handed it to God. We said, I'm yours. If that heart, if that work has not dealt in your life in this way, Jesus says, we cannot follow Him. Because that's what He did. That, quite frankly, is how He lived. He lived his whole life here in obedience to God, knowing that that obedience to God was going to take him to his death, the death on the cross. There are times Jesus could have shut up and said nothing, and everybody would have thought he's a good guy. There are times Jesus spoke out and spoke against the wrong people. But he said what the Father told him to say. And friends, as we think about this, Christ was our perfect pattern, our perfect example. Every one of us is under headship here. And he is the perfect head. 
it also headship in the kingdom of God does not mean though man is called head over over the woman man is not superior to woman and we want to I want to read the scripture because the bio, Paul himself actually says this and we want to we want to take note of this because many people call Paul uh, a misogynist a male chauvinist uh, uh, they, they don't like his emphasis on the headship order but i want to in galatians 3 verse 27 i want to show you that this is not a this is not how paul is and in fact i will tell you in all of this that we're going through paul is not trying to to implement some sort of of hierarchy that he could control he was simply handing down from god what God had given to him. The problem is, man has taken this and has made it something else many times. You know, we see people that want to take this headship order and they want to they want to crush people with it. They want to overpower and be overbearing and just just run people in the ground with it. And God, that never was God's intent. But then we also see people say, well. Because I've been victim to some abuses of headship, I want nothing to do with it. Throw it out. It's no good. I'll live my life the way I want to live it. And I'll just tell you that at some point, you will face the headship of God. If you won't face it here in this life, you will face it one day, and then it will crush you. But as Christians, as believers, God, God wants us to willingly come under his headship. But let's look at what he says here. Galatians 3 and in verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. At the cross, well, let me just put it this way. According to the, to the work of Christ, there is no one elevated over the other. Abraham was not elevated over Sarah. You know, Peter was not elevated over his wife. Uh, we can go all the way through, and... and in the kingdom of God, they are equals. They are equals. They have privilege to access by grace through faith. They have the ability to access the presence of God. They have the ability to walk under the leadership of Christ. They have the ability to, to come before Him with their needs and their prayers. They have the same ability to walk in obedience to God. So, many times, I believe many people have taken this, the headship order to mean that man is a, in a superior place and the woman is in a less superior place. And that, that needs to be out of, the, out of the playbook completely because God is simply saying, in Christ, you are all one. Now, 
in a, in, when he comes to function, someone must lead. Someone must take the head. And he's called on the man from, and we're going to look at back in the creation yet, before sin was even here. God appointed that man would be the leader. So, woman in, in this case and man were to be one together. Uh, let's, go, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 and in verse, verses 20 to 25. <clears throat> Genesis 2, verses 20 to 25. And I chose this, and this passage comes to us because this is something God laid down before sin came into the world. Before there was a, this twisted up mess of how we deal with with headship. Let's look at what he says here in Genesis 2. I'm going to back up to verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of, the ribs, one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from, the, from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Notice that he, he takes, he makes all these creatures, and he puts Adam in charge of naming them. Now, you know, God could have said, you know, Adam, this is the giraffe. Adam, this is the elephant. Adam, this is the cow. But he instead, he brought them to Adam, and Adam named them. Because God was giving him a place of headship on the earth. God was giving man the place of taking dominion in the earth. And that's, that's something we must understand is given to us by God. It's not to be abused. We are to use what God has given us the way He intended it to be used. Now, what does He say that man was missing? All the way back in verse 18, He says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Even after He went through all the animals, named all the animals, still in verse 20, there was not found a helper comparable to a help meet, as the old King James would say, a help suitable 
someone who would be with him in this, in this work. So the Lord God caused Adam to sleep. He took a rib, took a place out of Adam's side, not from his head to rule over him, not from his feet to be crushed under him, but from his side to be with him. And God has designed that man and woman be together. But he gave man the responsibility to lead in this union. And I think we need to understand that, that, that in, as God's headship order is laid out, we saw it there in 1 Corinthians, he talks about God, Christ, God being the head of Christ, Christ being the head of man, man being the head of woman. There's a huge, there's a huge distance in some ways between Christ and man. Though practically speaking, man is under the headship of Christ. Yet there's a there's a sense in which man is under a perfect head. Man is under a a perfect being as one who is his head. And I think we need to to also remember that woman being under man is also with man, but there's a lot of imperfection there now between Adam and Eve when sin came to the earth. There's issues that, that, that mess with that headship order that make it not as it used to be. But let's notice that they are brought together and they are one flesh. They are to be together. Though she is his helper, they are together. And friends, I believe that that's, that, that I have seen both sides where a man has, has, has used his, his what he, as an excuse for his domination, this, this command of God to subdue the ground, to subdue the earth. Listen, it's one thing for you to go out here and take control in the workplace and to subdue what God has put into your, into your power. As he worked with the animals, he was to bring things under control. As he was working in the garden, he was to make it, make it beautiful and make it abound and make it grow. But there's a different principle when you're working with your spouse. You're not to dominate and control your spouse. You're to, you're to take her as one by your side, and you're to walk with her. And you are to, though you are to lead her, you are to walk with her. And the woman, likewise, you know, I've seen women just, just despise their husbands, treat them like dirt. And, and, and run them down whenever they have a chance. Listen, God has given you a place of honor beside your husband if you're married. And I want, I want this to be known that this is honorable. This is an honorable union. That you be together doing what God has put you here to do. This is, as a married couple, this is part of your identity. God has made you one. I don't identify as only Chris Byler. I am the husband of Carol. Wherever I go, my identity is with her now. Her identity is with me now. And so when there is that joining together, it is part of God's headship 
that though I am head of the home, I am not, I am not separate from her. There is a union there that is to be acknowledged and understood. And that's what he meant by a helper suitable. He, need, he knew that there needs to be a unitedness there, a, 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 a tightness there of relationship, and that there was no shame, there was no hindrances, there was nothing wrong with that relationship when God finished. They were able to look one another square in the eye and with nothing Nothing between them, literally, and, and, and enjoy their fellowship with one another and live together on this earth in the way God had blessed them. Listen, there's nothing wrong with what God blesses, and I think that's something we've gotten away from. Man has tried in all, his, in all his, the things that he does to try to uh, bring about what he thinks would be best. He undermines the, 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 the appointment of God, the designation of God, the work of God in headship. Okay, that took longer than I expected, but let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 to 18. And I realize we're looking through a bunch of scriptures, but this principle is throughout scripture. Let's... Let's notice that not only, not only is the, the head to be, uh, is, is this headship order to be established, but we have here what, what it means. And we find this in Christ. And we look to Christ here in, in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether on things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross." There is, in the headship, the head is responsible. There are things that the head is responsible for. He is responsible, and he is to be in charge of those things God gives him to do. That's why he's called the head. Notice that as, a, as my head operates with the rest of my body, it tells you know, my, from my brain function, it tells me what to do to do what I need to do. My arm does not function apart from my brain. Uh, and I, and I, a good example of this was my, my grandfather years and years ago had a stroke. And he lost control of one arm. And that arm would, would spasm and just do all sorts of things. And he even had to, had to tie it behind his back so that he could eat with his left hand. And uh, because his, his, his right hand would just knock the food out of, his, out of his spoon, you know, it was just, and he didn't intend to do it, but there was, a, there was a misc, there's a bad connection from the brain to the arm. The stroke had damaged that part of his brain, and his head was no longer telling 
his arm or his hand what to do. And friends, that's what it's like when we want to try to disconnect from the head as part of the body. We, we are not functioning in coordination with Christ and with God. And when he is in charge, let's notice that he holds all things together. It's Christ that makes all things function as they're supposed to function. And when we want to throw away this headship, we actually start functioning in a way that works against the desire of Christ. And the, 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 the understanding that, that Paul is uh, trying to deliver to us here is the fact that there is a completeness in Christ. Though we can't see it all yet, we're striving for a completeness that comes from Him being our head. And Him being our head is simply given, He's given that place by God so that we will function the way God intended for us to function. God's intent is the best thing that could ever happen to any of us. God's will, His desire, His longing is that we be complete in Him. That there be a fullness in Him. And He has designed that in our head, in Christ, all this preeminence dwells. Headship in the kingdom of God means that Christ is preeminent. Christ is preeminent in His church. That's what He says here. He, because by Him He reconciles all things to Himself. He reconciles every stray unbeliever that, that, is, that is in the church. He has reconciled them to Himself. It is Christ that has done this. He's made peace with God through the blood through his blood on the cross. He has he is bringing the growth that the church needs. And it's through this headship that God has given him that he is doing this. And so just as he as the head directs the body, Christ directs the church. This, this here, where it says God's order, it says that here that in, in verse 17 that He is before all things means that He is preeminent. He is the first. He's the, the foremost. And by Him, all things hold together, consist. Christ has earned His place as the head of the church by conquering death for her. Notice what He says there in verse 17. Verse 18, he is the head, the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Christ is the firstborn to conquer death. He is the first one to conquer our biggest and worst and darkest enemy. And that was death. And because he went there and he conquered death, so we too have a hope that we will conquer death. That is the glorious hope of the believer, friend. Is that through the headship of Christ, we are brought into that same victory over death that he had. This is why the Christian, he says, don't cry as though you have no hope when, you, when they die. Because there is, there is something Christ has done that makes death, it took the sting right out of death. 
It's took the bite of the law out of the death of the believer. We died apart from Christ in a place that was tragic because there was no one who conquered death for us. This is, this is what Christ has done. The, the, the head is to be the deliverer, the savior of the body, he says there in Ephesians. He is the one who delivers the body, the, the, the church, from her place of death, her place of, of destruction. And so, because he delivers her from this, he is the one in charge. Headship, let's notice as we go back here to Ephesians chapter 5 and Notice that headship is specific. Let's notice this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This is personal. This is your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. And then he says, husbands love your wives. This is specifically your wife. This is specifically for you. This is specifically your calling. You love your wives. In, and as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself. We're going to get into this a little later on. Uh, let's go on down. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Notice as we come down to the, to the, to the last verse. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's very specific. Headship in this context is very specific. And it starts with God. God has one son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. There's only one. And God gave his son because he loved. It was his love that drove him to give his son. Well, you have Christ here who he says he loves, he, he presents the church to himself. He loved his church, his bride. It's his. There's only one bride. There's only one church. There's only one kingdom of God that he is over. And it's his own. God has made it his own. Likewise, husbands, you are to love your own wives. And wives, you are to submit to your own husbands. And this is, this is personal. It's specific. <clears throat> In fact, I don't have time to go here, but 
Revelation 1, you can write this down, Revelation 1, verses 4 to 6. Christ's headship over his church makes him deal differently with the church than he does with the world, the unbelieving, rebellious world. The way he deals with 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 the church is that he says there that he has made them kings and priests to our God. That's how he ma- that's what he does with his church. He loves his church. But what does he do with the world? The rebels of the world. Psalm 2 verses 8 to 9, we're not going to turn there. He says he will crush them with a rod of iron. He will break them in pieces as a as a rod of iron would break pottery. And so there's a difference the headship of Christ in the church and how he loves his own and how he deals with his own and what he gives his own is far different than his headship in the and his leadership in the world his in the world he's he's trying to bring them he's bringing them into subjection under himself they don't want to submit to him they don't want no headship over them they have shook their fist in his face for centuries and they still do And that's why he's going to crush them one day. I want to ask you this morning, are you a rebel against the Son? Or are you his child? To be his child is to be brought under his headship and under his lordship. Do you bow to his order of headship today? Is that who you are? Is that what you do? Are you willing to say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done? Are you willing to make your life to reckon with his headship? Are you willing this morning to allow your life to be lined up under his authority? Well, quickly, we must conclude here. Number two, you must, there's love in God's kingdom. Not only headship, but love and unity. In John 17, verses 20 to 24, we're not going to go there, but he says that he desires, he tells the Father that he desires that the love that he and the Father have shared would be in his people. And that only comes because God granted his prayer. God granted his prayer to be answered. Christ always prayed in a way that God would answer his prayer. And when God answers Christ's prayer, he makes so that the love that we know from Christ, through Christ and amongst each other, is a love that comes from God. It's, it comes, it's, it's a part of the relationship with Christ and God. And so we find that love has come down to us from God in this form of His Son. And this love is a love that is wonderful to behold. In fact, as we look at, first John, at John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. That, that original meaning bore the, bore the, bore the, uh, the understanding of God the Father and God the Son being in a face-to-face relationship with each other. 
There was nothing for, from forever that stood between them. This was an eternally clear relationship. This is an eternally loving relationship. Loving relationships are clear relationships. And this morning, I believe that one of the things that bothers me the most is that the church who, who says they are the children of His love, they fail to have the clear relationships, the loving relationships. This is what the Father does. He brings us and He works with His children to bring them to a place where their relationships are clear. With Him first and then with their fellow men. This love has, like this, has always been from God because God is love. 1 John 4. And we don't have time to go there, but He says... That love is a sacrificial love. That, that Christ, that God gave His one and only Son. That, that whosoever believes in Him will not have, will not perish but have everlasting life. And, and as we notice here in Ephesians 5, notice He says <clears throat> that Christ has loved the church and He gave Himself for her. He gave himself for her. What did that look like? What did that actually look like? There was no stinginess. There was no, I'm too good to do this for you. You're too evil and rotten and ugly. You're too bad for me to stoop down and do this for you. Nothing like that in the, in the mind or the concept of God. But rather, we find that as we go there in Philippians 2, we were there just a minute ago where he says that he took upon himself not the king of men, but the form of a servant. He, became, he came as one of our lowliest people, if you please. There's no royalty here. There's no wealth here. There's no, no glamour here. There's no anything spectacular from his outward appearance. But he came as a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And as he humbled himself, he went from degree to degree to degree of lowliness and more humility and more and being brought further and further until it finally he was brought to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, that's what headship with God should look like. That's what headship should look like do you understand this morning how much god loves his own do you do you understand that the depth and the greatness of his not only compassion for us in our problem with sin but actually sending his own son to do something to do the very thing that needed to be done even when it cost him his own life. Even when it was, it was, it shattered him completely on this earth. Friends, God and Christ have not been too stingy to love us. They've not been too 
hard-hearted. They've not been justified in their own eyes. Too much so to love us. What about us? Are we willing to submit to the love of God in such a manner that those whom God has placed with us and under us know the love of Christ? They know that love. They know that there is something on fire inside of us that's not ours, but it's His. He's given it to us. We love them from something beyond us. Well, not only is there love, but lastly, there's submission. There's submission. Notice that as we look here, he says that, therefore, just as the church, verse 24, is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is why he says in verse 21 that we're to submit one another to one another in the fear of God. In Christ, there was a total submission to the will of the Father. There was 100% given up. He was 100% given up to whatever the Father had to say. It took him all the way to a voluntary death on the cross. And this word submit, this word to be subject to, it means to, to arrange oneself in order under, under. And it literally means that as God has set forth the order of His kingdom, we are to arrange ourselves in order under that under that place that he has for us. That's simply what he's, what he's telling us here. That's what Christ did. He submitted himself to the headship of the Father. He put himself voluntarily under the lordship of the Father. And so when he calls us to be under the headship of Christ, what's he calling us to do? Just as Christ was submitted to the Father, so we come and subject ourselves the same way to the headship of Christ. The fact is that some of this breaks down as it comes into human relationships. Because though my wife is to submit to my leadership, yet there's, an, there's a part of submission, and we'll find this in Scripture, where if I'm going the wrong way and I'm telling her to do something that's wrong, she must stand up to me because that her ultimate submission is a submission to God. And so uh, we'll get to that later on. It'll be in the next message. But this submissive obedience took Christ to the death on the cross. In fact, his submission was such that he humbled himself to obey his Father. It's a humble submission. And when we go to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, I'm not going to go there, but we're going to just... Jesus said, My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them. They know me. They follow me. But what does he say about the voice of a stranger? 
the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Because the stranger is not under the headship of Christ. The sheep of God's pasture, they know their master. And they're called to submit to that master. And notice we said it's specific. Headship is specific. We're not called to submit to anything we hear out there that's good. We're called to submit to the voice of the master, to the voice of Christ. This is why we preach the word, brothers and sisters, because we need to hear the voice of Christ. And the word is the voice of Christ. The sheep will follow their shepherd, but the voice of a stranger they will not follow because they don't know that voice. Listen, I, I have seen where, where churches blossomed and they bloomed and they grew and they, they, were, they were standing room only on a Sunday morning. And something happened. The voice of a stranger would come into that congregation. And the sheep, eventually, they find a place where the shepherd is speaking again. They don't want to be there hearing the voice of a stranger. And friends, that's the blessedness of the headship of Christ. Is that he calls his own sheep by name. They are his own. They belong to him and he is their shepherd. And that's why that he has said that he will not take us out of the world, but he will keep us from the evil one in the world. And he does it because he is head. He can call his sheep and they hear his voice and they follow him. I believe we need to have confidence in the headship of Christ. I believe we need to have confidence that Christ had in the headship of God. There needs to be this, this, uh, this reality that I'm not my own. See, that goes against, that goes the, against the American way and the American dream and the American thinking. I'm my own man. I'm going to make my own dream. I'm going to be my own hero. I'm going to do my own thing. When in reality, brothers and sisters, that is the way of death. Because we will hear the voice of a stranger under that influence. I, I call you this morning, brothers and sisters, to look at Christ. I know this whole thing of headship has been abused in many cases. I have been involved in churches where leaders took things on them that should never have been taken on them. Where people were bound by their conscience to the leader, not to Christ. And I want you to hold me accountable for that. I don't ever want to hold you. I don't ever want to bind your conscience to myself. You should never have to be afraid of me. But brothers and sisters, I just want to hold you to the Word of God. It's the Word of God that will try us in that day. It's the Word of God that leads us today. It's the Word of God that, that calls to us and says, follow me. And that's what Jesus, and that's following Jesus. <coughs> Pardon me. I want to ask you this morning are you willing to submit to the voice of the shepherd in the kingdom of God? 
Some of the hardest things to take sometimes are things that come from our own brothers and sisters. But brothers and sisters, this is why we must all, even if we must confront our brother or our sister with something, we must all have this attitude of submission and humility. If we cannot go with humility and submission, we need to wait until we can go with humility and submission. And we dare, we dare not put it off. But we need to get our hearts right. So we're in the same boat together. We're under a head who has called us to follow him. And we're to conduct ourselves the way he has asked us to follow him. And so I ask you this morning, are you willing to place yourself in order under his headship? This is the ultimate headship. Most of the time when people are crying foul over this passage of Scripture, the real problem is they have never put themselves under the headship of Christ. When they call Paul a misogynist and a male chauvinist, they've not understood God. They don't know the love that comes through his headship. They don't know the grace that comes from him to be brought near to him. And friends, they do this in ignorance against the goodness of God. Headship is a good thing, friends. It's a wonderful thing. It's our protection. It's our guidance because our, our head is Christ. He is our guide. His word is truth. Let us find ourselves, let us arrange ourselves under him. And let us also submit ourselves to the one that God has put over us. This is not just in marriage. As we go out here into the world, there are other people that are over us. We have governments. We have authorities. Peter talks about submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Not just because they're good. They're not going to be good. But he says, submit yourself anyway. Because unless they're going to call you to sin. But, you know, we cry, we cry and complain and, and bellyache and moan about all their problems that they have out there. But we won't submit to them. Listen, we've got a lot of room most times until they call us to sin. There's a long ways to go until they're actually going to call us to sin. Let's submit in every way that we can, unless it's a sin. Unless it goes against the will of God. We're called to submit to every ordinance that has put, been put over us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the beauty of the headship. That you have, you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, have put over us. Father, we rejoice in the protection, rejoice in the calling that you have given us to walk with you, put ourselves in order under your headship. I just ask that you would give us grace to continue to do so, that we may, we may with joy walk with you, that may be a delight and a privilege and a blessing. We may know the love of Christ which passes all understanding, Lord, just bless this congregation abundantly, I pray. Pray that your hand would be upon us for good, that we may see your face. Lord, that the countenance of your glory would shine upon us. Father, that we could be brought to peace with you.
thank you so much for all you have done for us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.